Audio 38, another George Whitfield sermon. This one is entitled The Method of Grace. Jeremiah 6:14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. As God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, and upright ministers. So the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon a people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. And yet, in all ages, we find that there have been many wolves in sheep's clothing, many that daubed with untempered mortar, that prophesied smoother things than God did allow. As it was formerly so, it is now. There are many that corrupt the word of God and deal deceitfully with it. It was so in a special manner in the prophet Jeremiah's time. And he, faithful to his Lord, faithful to that God who employed him, did not fail from time to time to open his mouth against them and to bear a noble testimony to the honor of that God in whose name he from time to time spake. If you will read this prophecy, you will find out that none spake more against such ministers than Jeremiah. And here, especially in the chapter out of which the text is taken, he speaks very severely against them. He charges them with several crimes. Particularly, he charges them with covetousness. Says he in the 13th verse, from the least of them to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth false. And then in the words of the text, in a more special manner, he exemplifies how they had dealt falsely, how they had behaved treacherously to poor souls. Says he, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The prophet, in the name of God, had been denouncing war against the people. He had been telling them that their house should be left desolate and that the Lord would certainly visit the land with war. Therefore, says Jeremiah in the 11th verse, I am full of the fury of the Lord, I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days, and their houses shall be turned unto others and their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord." The prophet gives a thundering message that they might be terrified and have some convictions and inclinations to repent. But it seems that the false prophets, the false priests, went about stifling people's convictions. And when they were hurt or a little terrified, they were for daubing over the wound, telling them that Jeremiah was but an enthusiastic preacher and that there could be no such thing as war among them. And saying to the people, peace, peace, be still. When the prophet told them there was no peace, the words then refer primarily unto outward things. But I, George Whitfield, verily believe have also a further reference to the soul and are to be referred to those false teachers who when people were under conviction of sin, when people were beginning to look towards heaven, were for the stifling their convictions and telling them that they were good enough before. And indeed, people generally love to have it so. Our hearts are exceedingly deceitful and desperately wicked. 
None but the eternal God knows how treacherous they are. How many of us cry, peace, peace to our souls when there is no peace? How many are there who are now settled upon their lees that now think they are Christians, that now flatter themselves that they have an interest in Jesus Christ? Whereas if we come to examine their experiences, we shall find that their peace is but a piece of the devil's making. It is not a piece of God's giving. It is not a peace that passes human understanding. It is matter, therefore, of great importance, my dear hearers, to know whether we may speak peace to our hearts. We are all desirous of peace. Peace is an unspeakable blessing. How can we live without peace? And therefore, people from time to time must be taught how far they must go and what must be wrought in them before they can speak peace to their hearts. This is what I design at present, that I may deliver my soul, that I may be free from the blood of those to whom I preach, that I may not fail to declare the whole counsel of God. I shall, from the words of the text, endeavor to show you what you must undergo and what must be wrought in you before you can speak peace to your hearts. But before I come directly to this, give me leave to premise a caution or two. And the first is that I take it for granted you believe religion to be an inward thing. You believe it to be a work in the heart, a work wrought in the soul by the power of the Spirit of God. If you do not believe this, you do not believe your Bibles. If you do not believe this, though you have got your Bibles in your hand, you hate the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. For religion is everywhere represented in the scriptures as the work of God in the heart. The kingdom of God is within us, says our Lord. And he is not a Christian who is one outwardly, but he is a Christian who is one inwardly. If any of you place religion in outward things. I shall not perhaps please you this morning. You will understand me no more when I speak of the work of God upon a poor sinner's heart than if I were talking in an unknown tongue. I would further premise a caution that I would by no means confine God to one way of acting. I would by no means say that all persons before they come to have a settled peace in their hearts, are obliged to undergo the same degrees of conviction. No. God has various ways of bringing his children home. His sacred spirit bloweth when and where and how it listeth. But, however, I will venture to affirm this, that before ever you can speak peace to your heart, whether by shorter or longer continuance of your convictions, whether in a more pungent or in a more gentle way, you must undergo what I shall hereafter lay down in the following discourse. First, then, before you can speak peace to your hearts, you must be made to see, made to feel, made to weep over, made to bewail your actual transgressions or acts of sin against the law of God. According to the covenant of works, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Cursed is that man, be he what he may, that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. We are not only to do some things, but we are to do all things, and we are to continue so to do, 
so that the least deviation from the moral law, according to the covenant of works, whether in thought, word, or deed, deserves eternal death at the hand of God. And if one evil thought, if one evil word, if one evil action deserves eternal damnation, how many hells, my friends, do every one of us deserve whose whole lives have been one continued rebellion against God? Before ever, therefore, you can speak peace to your hearts. You must be brought to see, brought to believe what a dreadful thing it is to depart from the living God. And now, my dear friends, examine your hearts, for I hope you come hither with a design to have your souls made better. Give me leave to ask you in the presence of God whether you know the time and if you do not know exactly the time, do you know there was a time when God wrote bitter things against you, when the arrows of the Almighty were within you? Was ever the remembrance of your sins grievous to you? Was the burden of your sins intolerable to your thoughts? Did you ever see that God's wrath might justly fall upon you on account of your actual transgressions against God? Were you ever in all your life sorry for your sins? Could you ever say my sins are gone over my head as a burden too heavy for me to bear? Did you ever experience any such thing as this? Did ever any such thing as this pass between God and your soul? If not, for Jesus Christ's sake, do not call yourself Christians. You may speak peace to your hearts, but there is no peace. May the Lord awaken you. May the Lord convert you. May the Lord give you peace if it be his will before you go home. But further, you may be convinced of your actual sins or your acts of sins so as to be made to tremble. And yet ye may be strangers to Jesus Christ. You may have no true work of grace upon your heart before ever. Therefore, you can speak peace to your hearts. Conviction must go deeper. You must not only be convinced of your actual transgression or your acts of sin against the law of God, but likewise of the foundation of all your transgressions. And what is that? I mean original sin. That original corruption each of us brings into the world with us, which renders us liable to God's wrath and damnation. There are many poor souls that think themselves fine reasoners, yet they pretend to say there is no such thing as original sin. They will charge God with injustice in imputing Adam's sin to us. Although we have got the mark of the beast and of the devil upon us, yet they tell us we are not born in sin. Let them look abroad into the world and see the disorders in it and think if they can, if this is the paradise in which God did put man. No, everything in the world is out of order. I have often thought when I was abroad that if there were no other argument to prove original sin, the rising of the wolves and tigers against man, nay, the barking of a dog against us is a proof of original sin. Tigers and lions durst not rise against us if it were not for Adam's first sin. For when the creatures rise up against us, it is as much as to say, you have sinned against God and we take up our master's quarrel. If we look inwardly, 
we shall see enough of lust and man's temper contrary to the temper of God. There is pride, malice, and revenge in all our hearts. And this temper cannot come from God. It comes from our first parent, Adam, who, after he fell from God, fell out of God into the devil. However, therefore, some people may deny this, yet when conviction comes, all carnal reasonings are battered down immediately, and the poor soul begins to feel and see the fountain from which all the polluted streams do flow. When the sinner is first awakened, he begins to wonder, how came I to be so wicked? The Spirit of God then strikes in and shows that he has no good thing in him by nature. Then he sees that he is altogether gone out of the way, that he is altogether become abominable, and the poor creature is made to live down at the foot of the throne of God and to acknowledge that God would be just to damn him, just to cut him off, though he never had committed one actual sin in his life. Did you ever feel and experience this, any of you, to justify God in your damnation, to own that you are by nature children of wrath and that God may justly cut you off though you never actually had offended him in all your life. If you were truly convicted, if your hearts were ever truly cut, if self were taken truly out of you, you would be made to see and feel this. And if you have never felt the weight of original sin, do not call yourselves Christians. I am verily persuaded original sin is the greatest burden of a true convert. This ever grieves the regenerate soul, the, the sanctified soul. The indwelling of sin in the heart is a burden of a converted person. It is the burden of a true Christian. He continually cries out, Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death, this indwelling corruption in my heart? This is that which deserves a poor soul most. And therefore, if you never felt this inward corruption, if you never saw that God might justly curse you for it, indeed, my dear friends, you may speak peace to your heart. But I fear, nay, I know, there is no true peace. Further, before you can speak peace to your hearts, you must not only be troubled for the sins of your life, the sin of your nature, but likewise for the sins of your best duties and performances. When a poor soul is somewhat awakened by the terrors of the Lord, then the poor creature being born under the covenant of works flies directly to a covenant of works again. And as Adam and Eve hid themselves among the trees of the garden and sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, so the poor sinner, when awakened, flies to his duties and to his performances to hide himself from God and goes to patch up a righteousness of his own. Says he, I will be mighty good now. I will reform. I will do all I can. And then certainly Jesus Christ will have mercy on me. But before you can speak peace to your heart, you must be brought to see that God may damn you for the best prayer you ever put up. You must be brought to see that all your duties, all your righteousness, as the prophet elegantly expresses it, put them all together, are so far from recommending you to God, are so far from being any motive and inducement to God to have mercy on your poor soul, that he will see them to be filthy rags, a menstruous cloth, 
that God hates them and cannot away with them if you bring them to him in order to recommend you to his favor. My dear friends, what is there in our performances to recommend us unto God? Our persons are in an unjustified state by nature. We deserve to be damned 10,000 times over. And what must our performances be? We can do no good thing by nature. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. You may do many things materially good, but you cannot do a thing formally and rightly good because nature cannot act above itself. It is impossible that a man who is unconverted can act for the glory of God. He cannot do anything in faith and whatsoever is not of faith is sin. After we are renewed, yet we are renewed, but in part indwelling sin continues in us. There is a mixture of corruption in every one of our duties so that after we are converted, were Jesus Christ only to accept us according to our works, our works would damn us for we cannot put up a prayer but it is far from that perfection which the moral law requires. I do not know what you may think, but I can say that I cannot pray, but I sin. I cannot preach to you or any others, but I sin. I can do nothing without sin. And as one expresses it, my repentance wants to be repented of, and my tears to be washed in the precious blood of my dear Redeemer. Our best duties are as so many splendid sins. Before you can speak peace in your heart, you must not only be made sick of your original and actual sins, but you must be made sick of your righteousness, that is your self-righteousness, of all your duties and performances, there must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self-righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of our heart. The pride of our heart will not let us submit to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But if you never felt that you had a righteousness of your own, if you never felt the deficiency of your own righteousness, you cannot come to Jesus Christ. There are a great many now who may say, well, we believe all this, but there is a great difference betwixt talking and feeling. Did you ever feel the want of a dear Redeemer? Did you ever feel the want of Jesus Christ upon the account of your deficiency of your own righteousness. And can you now say from your heart, Lord, thou mayest justly damn me for the best duties that ever I did perform. If you are not thus brought out of self, you may speak peace to yourselves, but yet there is no peace. But then before you can speak peace to your souls, there is one particular sin you must be greatly troubled for, and yet I fear there are few of you. Think what it is. It is the reigning, the damning sin of the Christian world, and yet the Christian world seldom or never think of it. And pray, what is that? It is what most of you think you are not guilty of. And that is the sin of unbelief. Before you can speak peace to your heart, you must be troubled for the unbelief of your heart. But can it be supposed that any of you are unbelievers here in this churchyard that are born in Scotland in a reformed country that go to church every Sabbath? Can any of you that receive the sacrament once a year Oh, that it were administered oftener. Can it be supposed that you who had tokens for that sacrament, that you would keep up family prayer, that any of you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
I appeal to your own hearts. If you would not think me uncharitable, if I doubted whether any of you believed in Christ, and yet I fear upon examination, we should find that most of you have not so much faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the devil himself. I am persuaded the devil believes more of the Bible than most of us do. He believes in the divinity of Jesus Christ. That is more than many who call themselves Christians do. Nay, he believes and trembles, and that is more than thousands amongst us do. My friends, we mistake a historical faith for a true faith wrought in the heart by the Spirit of God. You fancy you believe because you believe there is such a book as we call the Bible, because you go to church. All this you may do and have no true faith in Christ. Merely to believe there was such a person as Christ, merely to believe there is a book called the Bible will do you no good more than to believe there was such a man as Caesar or Alexander the Great. The Bible is a sacred depository. What thanks have we to give to God for these lively oracles? But yet we may have these and not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friends, there must be a principle wrought in the heart by the Spirit of the living God. Did I ask you how long it is since you believed in Jesus Christ? I suppose most of you would tell me you believed in Jesus Christ as long as you ever remember. You never did misbelieve. Then you could not give me a better proof that you never yet believed in Jesus Christ unless you were sanctified early as from the womb. For the true believer in Christ knows otherwise that there was a time when they did not believe in Jesus Christ. You say you love God with all your heart and soul and strength. If I were to ask you how long it is since you love God, you would say as long as you can remember. You never hated God. You know no time when there was enmity in your heart against God. Then... Unless you were sanctified very early, you never loved God in your life. My dear friends, I am more particular in this because it is a most deceitful delusion whereby so many people are carried away that they believe already. Therefore, it is remarked of Mr. Marshall giving account of his experience, that he had been working for life and he had ranged all his sins under the Ten Commandments. And then coming to a minister, asked him why the reason he could not get peace. The minister looked at his catalog. Away, says he, I do not find one word of the sin of unbelief in all your catalog. It is the peculiar work of the Spirit of God to convince us of our unbelief that we have got no faith, says Jesus Christ, of the sin of unbelief, of sin, says Christ, because they believe not on me. Now, my dear friends, did God ever show you that you had no faith? Were you ever made to bewail a hard heart of unbelief. Was it ever the language of your heart, Lord, give me faith. Lord, enable me to lay hold on thee. Lord, enable me to call thee my Lord and my God. Did Jesus Christ ever convince you in this manner? Did he ever convince you of your inability to close with Christ? and make you to cry out to God to give you faith. If not, do not speak peace to your heart. May the Lord awaken you and give you true, solid peace before you go hence and be no more. Once more then, before you can speak peace to your heart, 
you must not only be convinced of your actual and original sins, the sins of your own righteousness, the sin of unbelief, but you must be enabled to lay hold upon the perfect righteousness, the all-sufficient righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must lay hold by faith on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and then you shall have true peace. Come, says Jesus, unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This speaks encouragement to all that are weary and heavy laden, but the promise of rest is made to them only upon their coming and believing and taking him to be their God and their all. Before we can ever have peace with God, we must be justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must be enabled to apply Christ to our hearts. We must have Christ brought home to our souls as his righteousness may be our righteousness. So as his merits may be imputed to our souls, my dear friends, were you ever married to Jesus Christ? Did Jesus Christ ever give himself to you? Did you ever close with Christ by a lively faith so as to feel Christ in your hearts, so as to hear him speaking peace to your souls? Did peace ever flow in upon your hearts like a river? Did you ever feel that peace that Christ spoke to his disciples? I pray, God, he may come and speak peace to you. These things you must experience. I am talking of the invisible realities of another world. I am talking of an inward religion. I am talking of the work of God upon a poor sinner's heart. I am talking of a matter of great importance, my dear hearers. You are all concerned in it. Your souls are concerned in it. Your eternal salvation is concerned in it. You may all at peace be, but perhaps the devil has lulled you asleep into a carnal lethargy and security and will endeavor to keep you there till he get you to hell, and there you will be awakened. But it will be dreadful to be awakened and find yourself so fearfully mistaken when the gulf is fixed, when you will be calling to all eternity for a drop of water to cool your tongue and shall not obtain it. Give me leave then to address myself to several sorts of persons. And oh, may God of his infinite mercy bless the application. There are some of you perhaps can say, through grace we can go along with you. Blessed be God, we have been convinced of our actual sins. We have been convinced of our original sin. We have been convinced of our self-righteousness. We have felt the bitterness of unbelief, and through grace we have closed with Jesus Christ. We can speak peace to our hearts because God hath spoken peace to us. Can you say so? Then I will salute you as the angels did the women the first day of the week. All hail, fear not ye, my dear brethren. You are happy souls. You may lie down and be at peace indeed, for God hath given you peace. You may be content under all the dispensations of providence, for nothing can happen to you now, but what shall be the effect of God's love to your soul? You need not fear what sightings may be without, seeing there is peace within. Have you closed with Christ? Is God your friend? Is Christ your friend? Then look up with comfort. All is yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's, 
Everything shall work together for your good. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He that touches you touches the apple of God's eye. But then, my dear friends, beware of resting on your first conversion. You that are young believers in Christ, you should be looking out for fresh discoveries of the Lord Jesus Christ every moment. You must not build upon your past experiences. You must not build upon a work within you, but always come out of yourself to the righteousness of Jesus Christ without you. You must be always coming as poor sinners to draw water out of the wells of salvation. You must be forgetting the things that are behind and be continually pressing forward to the things that are before. My dear friends, you must keep you a tender, close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many of us who lose our peace by our untender walk. Something or other gets in betwixt Christ and us and we fall into darkness. Something or other steals our hearts from God and this grieves the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost leaves us to ourselves. Let me therefore exhort you that have got peace with God to take care that you do not lose this peace. It is true, if you are once in Christ, you cannot finally fall from God. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But if you cannot fall finally, you may fall foully and may go with broken bones all your days. Take care of backslidings. For Jesus Christ's sake, do not grieve the Holy Ghost. You may never recover your comfort while you live. Oh, take care of going a-gadding and wandering from God after you have closed with Jesus Christ. My dear friends, I have paid dear for backsliding. Our hearts are so cursedly wicked that if you take not care, if you do not keep up a constant watch, your wicked hearts will deceive you and draw you aside. It will be sad to be under the scourge of a correcting father. Witness the visitation of Job, David, and other saints in Scripture. Let me exhort you that have great peace to keep a close walk with Christ. I am grieved with the loose walk of those that are Christians that have had discoveries of Jesus Christ. There is so little difference betwixt them and other people that I scarce know which is the true Christian. Christians are afraid to speak of God. They run down with the stream. If they come into worldly company, they will talk of the world as if they were in their element. This you would not do when you had the first discoveries of Christ's love. You could talk then of Christ's love forever when the candle of the Lord shined upon your soul. That time has been when you had something to say for your dear Lord. But now you can go into a company and hear others speaking about the world bold enough and you are afraid of being laughed at if you speak for Jesus Christ. A great many people have grown conformist now in the worst sense of the word. They will cry out against the ceremonies of the church as they may and justly do. But then you are mighty fond of ceremonies in your own behavior. You will conform to the world, which is a great deal worse. Many will stay till the devil bring up new fashions. Take care then. Do not be conformed to the world. What have Christians to do with the world? Christians should be singularly good, bold for their Lord, that all who are with you may take notice that you have been with Jesus. I would exhort you to come to a settlement in Jesus Christ so as to have a continual abiding of God in your heart. We go a building on our faith of adherence and lost our comfort, but we should be growing up to a faith of assurance to know that we are God's and so walk in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and be edified. Jesus Christ is now much 
wounded in the house of his friends. Excuse me in being particular. For my friends, it grieves me more that Jesus Christ should be wounded by his friends than by his enemies. We cannot expect anything else from Deus, but for such as have felt his power to fall away, for them not to walk agreeably to the vocation wherewith they are called. By these means, we bring our Lord's religion into contempt to be a byword among the heathen. For Christ's sake, if you know Christ, keep close by him. If God have spoken peace, oh, keep that peace by looking up to Jesus Christ every moment. Such have got peace with God. If you are under trials, fear not. All things shall work for your good. If you are under temptations, fear not. If he has spoken peace to your hearts, all these things shall be for your good. But what shall I say to you that have got a peace with God? And these are perhaps the most of this congregation. It makes me weep to think of it. Most of you, if you examine your hearts, must confess that God never yet spoke peace to you. You are children of the devil. If Christ is not in you, if God has not spoken peace to your heart, poor soul, what a cursed condition are you in? I would not be in your case for 10,000, thousand worlds. Why? You are just hanging over hell. What peace can you have when God is your enemy, when the wrath of God is abiding upon your poor soul? Awake then, you that are sleeping in a false peace. Awake, ye carnal professors, ye hypocrites that go to church, receive the sacrament, read your Bibles, and never felt the power of God upon your hearts. You that are formal professors, you that are baptized heathens, awake, awake, and do not rest on a false bottom. Blame me not for addressing myself to you. Indeed, it is out of love to your souls. I see you are lingering in your Sodom and wanting to stay there. But I come to you as the angel did to Lot to take you by the hand. Come away, my dear brethren. Fly, fly, fly for your lives to Jesus Christ. Fly to a bleeding God. Fly to a throne of grace and beg of God to break your heart. Beg of God to convince you of your actual sins. Beg of God to convince you of your original sin. Beg of God to convince you of your self-righteousness. Beg of God to give you faith, to enable you to close with Jesus Christ. Oh, that you are secure I must be a son of thunder to you. Oh, that God may awaken you, though it be with thunder. It is out of love, indeed, that I speak to you. I know by sad experience what it is to be lulled asleep with a false peace. Long was I lulled to sleep. Long did I think myself a Christian when I knew nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I went perhaps farther than many of you do. I used to fast twice a week. I used to pray sometimes nine times a day. I used to receive the sacrament constantly every Lord's Day, and yet I knew nothing of Jesus Christ in my heart. I knew not that I must be a new creation. I knew nothing of the inward religion in my soul, and perhaps many of you may be deceived as I, poor creature that I was. And therefore, it is out of love to you, indeed, that I speak to you. Oh, if you do not take care, a form of a religion will destroy your soul. You will rest in it and will not come to Jesus Christ at all. Whereas these things are only the means and not the end of religion. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all that believe. 
Oh, then awake, you that are settled on your leaves. Awake, you church professors. Awake, you that have got a name to live, that are rich and think you want nothing, not considering that you are poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to come and buy of Jesus Christ gold, white raiment, and I salve. But I hope there are some that are a little wounded. I hope God does not intend to let me preach in vain. I hope God will reach some of your precious souls and awaken some of you out of your carnal security. I hope there are some who are willing to come to Christ because they are beginning to think they have been building upon a false foundation. Perhaps the devil may strike in and bid you despair of mercy, but fear not. What have I been speaking to you is only out of love to you, is only to awaken you and let you see your danger. If any of you are willing to be reconciled to God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is willing to be reconciled to you. Oh, then, though you have no peace as yet, come away to Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He is our peacemaker. He has made peace betwixt God and offending man. Would you have peace with God? Away then to God through Jesus Christ, who has purchased peace. The Lord Jesus has shed his heart's blood for this. He died for this. He rose again for this. He ascended into the highest heaven and is now interceding at the right hand of God. Perhaps you think there will be no peace for you. Why so? Because you are sinners. Because you have crucified Christ. You have put him to open shame. You have trampled under the foot the blood of the Son of God. What of all this? Yet there is peace for you. Pray. What did Jesus Christ say of his disciples when he came to them the first day of the week? The first word he said, he showed them his hands and his side and said, peace be unto you. It is as much as if he had said, fear not, my disciples. See my hands, see my feet, how they have been pierced for your sake. Therefore, fear not. How did Christ speak to his disciples? Go tell my brethren and tell broken-hearted Peter in particular that Christ is risen, that he is ascended unto his father and your father to his God and your God. And after Christ rose from the dead, he came preaching peace with an olive branch of peace like Noah's dove. My peace I leave with you. Who were they? They were enemies of Christ as well as we. They were deniers of Christ once as well as we. Perhaps some of you have backslidden and lost your peace and you think you deserve no peace and no more you do. But then God will heal your backslidings. He will love you freely as for you that are wounded. If you are made willing to come to Christ, come away. Perhaps some of you want to dress yourselves in your duties that are but rotten rags. No, you had better come naked as you are, for you must throw aside your rags and come in your blood. Some of you may say we would come, but we have got a hard heart. But you will never get it made soft till you come to Christ. He will take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He will speak peace to your souls. Though you have betrayed him, yet he will be your peace. Shall I prevail upon any of you this morning to come to Jesus Christ? There is a great multitude of souls here. How shortly must you all die and go to judgment? Even before night or tomorrow's night, some of you may be laid out for this kirkyard. Yet how will you do if you be not at peace with God? If the Lord Jesus Christ has not spoken peace unto your heart, 
If God speak not peace to you here, you will be damned forever. I must not flatter you, my dear friends. I will deal sincerely with your souls. Some of you may think I carry things too far, but indeed, when you come to judgment, you will find what I say is true, either to your eternal damnation or comfort. May God influence your hearts to come to him. I am not willing to go away without persuading you. I cannot be persuaded, but God make use of me as a means of persuading some of you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, did you but feel the peace which they have that have the Lord Jesus Christ. Great peace have they, say the psalmist, that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them, but there is no peace to the wicked. I know what it is to live a life of sin. I was obliged to sin in order to stifle conviction. And I am sure this is the way many of you take it. If you get into company, you drive off conviction, but you had better go to the bottom at once. It must be done. Your wound must be searched or you must be damned. If it were a matter of indifference, I would not speak one word about it, but you will be damned without Christ. He is the way, he is the truth and the life. I cannot think you should go to hell without Christ. How can you dwell with everlasting burnings? How can you abide the thought of living with the devil forever? Is it not better to have some soul trouble here than to be sent to hell by Jesus Christ hereafter? What is hell but to be absent from Christ? If there were no other hell, that would be hell enough. It will be hell to be tormented with the devil forever. Get acquaintance with God then and be at peace. I beseech you as a poor, worthless ambassador of Jesus Christ that you would be reconciled to God. My business this morning, the first day of the week, is to tell you that Christ is willing to be reconciled to you. Will any of you be reconciled to Jesus Christ? Then he will forgive you all your sins. He will blot out all your transgressions. But if you will go on and rebel against Christ and stab him daily, if you will go and abuse Jesus Christ, the wrath of God you must expect will fall upon you. God will not be mocked. That which a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if you will not be at peace with God, God will not be at peace with you. Who can stand before God when he is angry? It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. When the people came to apprehend Christ, they fell to the ground when Jesus said, I am he. And if they could not bear the sight of Christ when clothed with the rags of mortality, how will they hear the sight of him when he is on his father's throne? Methinks I see the poor wretches dragged out of their graves by the devil. Methinks I see them trembling, crying out to the hills and rocks to cover them. But the devil will say, come, I will take you away. And then... They shall stand trembling before the judgment of Christ. They shall appear before him to see him once and hear him pronounce that irrevocable sentence. Depart from me, ye cursed. Methinks I hear the poor creature saying, Lord, if we must be damned, let some angel pronounce the sentence. No, the God of love, Jesus Christ will pronounce it. Will you not believe this? Do not think I am talking at random, but agreeably to the scriptures of the truth. If you do not then show yourselves men and this morning go away with full resolution in the strength of God to cleave to Christ. And may you have no rest in your souls till you rest in Jesus Christ. I could still go on, for it is sweet to talk of Christ. Do you not long for the time when you shall have new bodies, when they shall be immortal and made like Christ's glorious body, 
and then they will talk of Jesus Christ forevermore. But it is time, perhaps, for you to go and prepare for your respective worship. And I would not hinder any of you. My design is to bring poor sinners to Jesus Christ. Oh, that God may bring some of you to himself. May the Lord Jesus now dismiss you with his blessing. And may the dear Redeemer convince you that are unawakened and turn the wicked from the evil of their way. And may the love of God that passeth all understanding fill your hearts. Grant this, O Father, for Christ's sake, to whom with thee and the blessed Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Let us note that this sermon by George Whitfield is a ground-laying sermon. He has given us the foundation of the salvation of the elect by showing us the four necessary foundational levels of repentance that the elect must undergo to be saved. In this sermon, we have come to understand the four levels of conviction of sin that must become grievous to us, lamentable to us, deplorable to us in order to come to salvation. For they are egregious, heinous, and offensive to God. George Whitfield, with certitude, makes it convincingly clear that God brings us, his elect, to repent over, number one, our acts of sin. Number two, our original sin, or the evil proclivities of our heart. Number three, our self-righteousness or partially following the commands of God instead of perfectly, which will lead us to flee to the righteousness of Jesus Christ by the gift of faith. Number four, our unbelief or impossibility with our natural man faith to lay hold of the righteousness of God. Thus, if God's arrows of conviction are beginning to stick fast in our hearts concerning these four levels of conviction, we must not let them evaporate away, but we must ask God to increase them. For conviction of these four sins is the sign that we may be one of God's elect and God is working in us to save us. For these are the four levels of conviction of sin that God uses to bring salvation to his elect. Our fast food free will preachers are Satan's ministers of righteousness, and they may not require any of these four levels of repentance, or maybe three out of four. But the elect will go through all four of these levels of repentance with varying degrees of conviction and varying degrees in the time that these are accomplished. Some compressed into almost instantaneously and others dragged out over a period of time. But all the elect will know they went through these four levels of a conviction of sin and especially will continue to feel the weight of their original sin, keeping them in the state of repentance as a true Christian. Original sin awareness and its weight leading us to repentance is the burden of all God's elect. Let us listen again to how George Whitfield exhorts us. Come away, my dear brethren. Fly, fly, fly for your lives to Jesus Christ. Fly to a bleeding God. Fly to a throne of grace and beg of God to break your hearts. How? Number one, beg of God to convince you of your actual sins. Number two, beg of God to convince you of your original sin. Number three, beg of God to convince you of your self-righteousness. Number four, beg of God to give you faith, that is, because of your unbelief, and enable you to close with Jesus Christ. Once more then, before you can speak peace to your heart, you must not only be convinced of your actual and original sin, the sins of your own righteousness, the sin of unbelief, but you must be enabled to lay a hold upon the perfect 
righteousness, the all-sufficient righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since this is such a foundational sermon, let us listen to it over and over again until we completely understand what George Whitfield is exhorting us to do in this particular sermon. I promise you it will be well worth your time. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace in the name of Jesus. Amen.